Oscar Poker. All right, from the historic <laughs> Waldorf Astoria on the 29th floor, it's Jeffrey Wells' Hollywood Elsewhere providing the lame intro to the seventh, seventh uh, 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 episode, if you will, of uh, Oscar Poker. And greetings to Sasha Stone in Los Angeles. Hi, Jeff. And to Phil Contrino in Bumblefuck, USA. <sighs> <laughs> and to Tom O'Neill in Los Angeles. Of the- hey, guys. Oh, hey, Tom. All right, so I'm just going to tell the story. It just happened. It was, in a, um, uh, it was at the press conference for Morning Glory, which I'm a huge fan of. I don't care what anybody says, including Variety and The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, and the guy says to Harrison about cooking because his character, who's a, uh, an old-school sort of Dan Ratherish newsman, and he uh, is into Italian cooking. And he says, so what have you uh, – uh, do you like to cook? Can you tell us about your love of cooking? And are you cooking more now that you're a newlywed? And Harrison Ford goes, I'm a newlywed? <laughs> me? <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> <You know. laughs> uh, we, we've been you know, together for like 10 years. Right. And believe me, the honeymoon is over. Oh, <laughs> Whoa. It, was, it was just great the way he paused just a little bit before he said "is over." It just what else, that's what good acting is about. So. Oh yeah, he's the yeah. best. So, um, so anyway, so I'm a fan of uh, of, of of GoldDerby.com. Uh, I, I enjoy seeing uh, my name in lights, and I and I love the <laughs> the design of it. And uh, well, thank you. And uh, Tom, you don't just to. Um, you're, you've got a, you've held on to the same uh, uh, readership or uh, and fans, um, and uh, the only thing that's really different is that you're just not. I, I still am a little confused. I know that you're still kind of with the envelope, but you're, but this is Tom O'Neill's home right now, GoldDerby.com, and it's not really anything has changed. But you're just focusing most of your energy, as I understand it, on Gold Derby. But you're getting, getting, giving some of them to uh, the envelope, right? Well, I'm as confused as you are, frankly, <laughs> because, because this whole thing took both the times and me by surprise. I, five years ago, I licensed my site to them. I, I said, I'm not selling it like they wanted. I'm going to license it because one of these days I'm going to want to bring it back. And they went, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think they quite believed that I would bring it back. And hmm. in early August, my contract ended this year at the end of September. In early August, I said, you know, I want my site back now. And Quite frankly, I assumed that meant I was leaving the Times. I would, we were all saying goodbye. And, and I was so touched and, and surprised when they said, no, 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 don't go. Stay here and, and, and we'll help you. You know, why not? Uh, we can do this together. So we've fumbled forward ever since then trying to figure out how we're doing this together. So the current plan is I have, I'm contractually obliged to do three blog items per day for the Times, the new mm-hmm. awards tracker blog. Mm-hmm. Plus, I still write for all the print inserts. Matter of fact, I'm writing more. There's one coming out next Wednesday. I'll have two articles in that in the newspaper. Mm-hmm. And then whatever free time I have left is Gold Derby. And as, as we all know, as being constant bloggers, you have no free time. We do this mm, night and day right. because we love it. So there'll be a lot over there too. But mm. what they're doing is they're selling the, the advertising for you. You don't have to sweat that part. So, And they get, a, I guess, a, a piece of it, but you you're obviously get most of it. And uh, that's how it works, right? Yes. They're getting a commission for selling the ads. And because they couldn't see the site before it launched the other day, they didn't know what they were getting into. I think they're pleased now that they've seen this. And we've 
designated a certain period of time now where we hope to strike an you know an equity deal so that they're part owner, uh-huh. and we have till early next year to do that. So we're kind of it. It shows how, and I think it's a great credit to an institution like the Times, this old-fashioned newspaper, that they're willing to take dangerous new ideas and say, "What the hell? Let's try it." You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a dangerous time, and, and everybody's uh, walking around on banana peels, and there's no uh, – uh, the old ways, um, uh, very few of them work the way they used to, so um, more flexibility, the better. So Yeah, here, here, here's where I think the, the clarification comes in. Last year, Jeff, you and I had so much fun beating up on Monique. <laughs> 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 but the one thing I couldn't do, because when you're at the Times, you have to be a little more conservative, right? Here's what I was dying to do, and now I will be able to do. If uh, you know, if the Monique situation were to reoccur, I wanted all last year to run a cartoon. Remember that wonderful line from Precious in the trailer where she says, "Monique says, Precious, get your ass down to the welfare. You know, yeah. Give up on your dream to have a wonderful life. Just go down to the welfare." I wanted to run a cartoon. Monique sitting in her chair with that cigarette dangling down. The caption being, "Monique, get your ass down to the New York Film Critics." <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been hilarious? Oh, like, God. Did they say no? I didn't even want to buy them because I knew what the answer would be. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> it is brilliant, isn't it? So, that little, that yeah. anecdote actually does provide a segue to talk about box office because one of the uh, uh, people that I was uh, – in films I was I was looking very much forward to beating up on is my – uh, my uh, old friend Tyler Perry and his film uh, for Color Girls, which opened this weekend, and uh, uh, Phil Contrino of BoxOffice.com, who uh, we talk to every week, uh, was just telling me that uh, in the middle of last week he was looking, or they were expecting to see in the vicinity of twenty-seven million dollars for this film, and what happened is that it it shortfalled to about twenty. Now that's not a disaster, of course, but that is less than what. Uh, was expected, and um, uh, Phil, you were telling me some reasons why you don't think it, it kicked in the way it could have. Yeah, I mean, I think people, like I was telling you, they need to hear that uh, even though Tyler Perry's outside of his comfort zone, they need to hear that he still pulled it off so that they feel comfortable going to see it. Um, and, and the data that we're getting uh, seems to indicate that that's what they're going to hear. It got an A rating from CinemaScore, which is excellent, and I'm actually really surprised by because mm. I thought it would be a movie that would kind of you know be polarizing right. um, it's 82% female obviously no surprise there and 87% is over 25 so that means also that you know it's skewing older so you know therefore it's it's audience might not feel the need to rush out opening weekend so you know you're gonna see legs on this thing and it's it's gonna hang in there for sure and by the way uh tom you're new to the show but uh to the to the podcast but uh, when phil says they need to know if it's any good or not that means they need to know from their friends from their people that they, they see uh you know you know i don't know the local haunt wherever that might be they, in other words it means they will not consider the writings of of and and, and passionate uh, effusions of people like uh, ourselves <laughs> they well, will not consider much, it. Yeah. They will yeah. look at. They, they, they could be swayed by the dollars, or they could be swayed by us. I, what a big surprise! They're going to the dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Tom, you're so funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so energetic and plugged into this uh, you know, into this world of ours that I uh, didn't even go to see Megamind, but that was the winner this weekend, uh, Phil. And I guess that was because the family audience. I, I guess, right? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, that's that's it in a nutshell. You know, you have these other movies do date four colored girls you know either they're a, a date movie or, or 
somebody goes with one friend, but Mega Mind, that's you know, four people from a family are, are lining up to see it. Um it got an A minus rating, so the word of mouth is pretty solid. I don't see it I haven't I haven't caught it yet. I'll probably catch up with it tonight, but I don't see it being nearly as leggy as how to train your dragon just because I don't think the reception is quite as positive as how to you know how to train your dragon. But you know, it's a it's a solid performer. Um does that mean date, you mean oh, are you talking cinema score isn't is positive? The people the actual uh, people who vote with their uh, ticket buying, they didn't think it was that good? or what are you Yeah, saying? just overall. I mean, and this all, I'll lump the critical reception into it, too. I mean, I think critics were behind, you know, How to Train Your Dragon a lot more than they're, they're behind this. Right. Um, so, you know, that that and on top of it. And, yeah, you know, How to, How to Train Your Dragon was kind of the underdog. Right. And uh, people really, they felt the need to, you know, passionately recommend it and, and really get that out there and fight for it. And it showed because that stuck around for a while. Um, and so. and due date doing thirty three million five hundred. That's certainly nothing to uh, to mourn about. I mean, that's okay. No, it's excellent. Right? Yeah. Um, B minus overall rating though from Cinema Score, which oh. doesn't bode well. So well, you know. I'll tell you what that is. That means it's because the 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 humor is dark. It's skewed. It's kind of weird. Uh, Downey plays a blatantly unlikable guy. It doesn't really warm up that much. And there's not a lot of laughter, but I swear to God, the ones that work, that connect, are are are, are wonderful. I think. But is it as funny well, as The Hangover? No. Not even close, right? <laughs> but it's but That's what you I was know. Just talk could, about. I, could I just interject once again? Yeah. I do this all all the time. Uh, Michael O'Donoghue back in the '70s, making people laugh is the lowest form of humor. You know, that's that, this movie is doing much more than just trying to make you laugh. I think it's it's doing it's really go and it goes into some new places that are. Uh, I mean, there has never been a comedic a comedic scene in the history of motion pictures in which an adult slugs a, a, a kid in the stomach. Oh, sounds lovely. <laughs> wow, that's funny, man. I'm telling you, you know, it comes out of nowhere and it's like. Yeah, we see fields of the thoughts. Eh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he said, did that really just happen? And then the kid goes down and he's gasping for breath. And then later, uh, Downey is sitting there with him and saying, you know, don't you say anything, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do you again. So, you know, and the kid is quiet. He doesn't uh, tell his mother. It's really perverse. So. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, it, it, no matter what, this was going to be compared to The Hangover. Right. And Todd Phillips could have come out and made, no matter what, it, mm-hmm. People are going to walk out and say, "Well, it wasn't as funny as The Hangover because mm-hmm. you know I'm in the camp that that's a new comedy classic. I've seen the thing, you know, God knows how many times. But it holds <laughs> up like a champ. It and, really and people, does. No it gets better. What, he yeah, he could have made the Citizen Kane of comedies, and people would have said, "Nah, wasn't you know, not as funny as The Hangover. Yeah. That's it. That's just the reality of the situation. So for it to even do this well and and you know open this strong, and I, I think it's an achievement because he could have had a really bad you know, slump after Hangover because, you know, for the, you know, it's likely that he'll never have a hit that big again. I mean, mm. it's the biggest R-rated comedy ever. Right. I think biggest, yeah, so. To say, to say how funny is a comedy is like you meet a pretty girl and someone says, so how big are her breasts? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to it than just big breasts or, or ha-ha, you know, there's just all kinds of things going on in this film, so. And, yeah. uh, uh, you know, there, and, I, and the concept that I like to talk about when I write about films that I like is is no laugh funny. You know, it's funny, but you don't actually vocally ha ha ha. But to me, that's, uh, you know, I, I understand that I'm from the planet Mars and I just parachuted down here, but I'm that's the way it's been. <laughs> 
Well, I think it's more like it's just not appealing to as many people, and that's fine. I mean, if you have discerning taste, you can't expect that everybody else is going to have the same taste, right? Because then you wouldn't have discerning taste. Right. Right. So, I mean, it makes sense that it wouldn't make as much money as The Hangover, which has, a lot, you know, to me, a, lot, uh, a well-rounded um, humor scape, <laughs> if you right. will. Yeah, you know, it yeah. appeals to women and kids. I mean, it's funny all the way around. It's not just one-way funny, you know. Tom, you're curiously silent. That means you didn't see it, right? I haven't seen Due Date. No, okay. The Hangover, I think, is a masterpiece. And the fact that the Hollywood Foreign Press Association named it Best Comedy last year was a wonderful surprise. Because yes. normally they just don't connect with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true, yeah. Right. Mm. Well, is there anything uh, significant other than these titles we talked about, Phil? Anything going on, uh, anything like next week or next weekend that we can discuss uh, of, of interest in the box office realm? Well, yeah, I definitely want to talk about 127 mm. Hours and Fair Game. They both opened uh, platform this weekend. Uh, 127 Hours did very well. It did 265, or basically 266,000 from only four theaters. So that's a $66,500 location average, which is not that far for, behind uh, Kids Are All Right in, hmm. in terms of the best platform opening this year. Kids right. Are All Right averaged. Uh, about 70k from four locations or mm. seven locations sorry um so this is a great start i'm i'm really happy to see that and especially for a movie that i think on a lot of levels is a tough sell i mean it's it's just the reality of the situation so for by the way speaking of that did you guys happen to to read uh, what scott feinberg reported last night which is that it it may not be deliberate but he there uh, a, a picture of an ambulance outside the uh, the one of the theaters playing uh, 127 hours in Savannah, Georgia, and he, uh, I think Scott, as deduced, having heard about it in one or two other locations, that they're literally accentuating the idea. They're trying to get people idea that there's a real. Uh, but are, are you are you, are you uh, strong enough to handle uh, the you know the arm chopping scene? But do we wow. think that is really the studio, or do we think it's the theater covering their ass in case something happens? For insurance reasons, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm. I'll totally go along with that second uh, thing. But I. But I would think it would be just stunning, almost brilliant on Fox Searchlight's part if they were encouraging this. Because right. Of the- but yeah, you can't buy that kind of publicity. That's great. I mean, you have an average moviegoer that's a hold of that and hears that. You know, they they would think. Wow, you know, I thought Saw 3D was intense, and this movie they have to put a an ambulance outside. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, that's. I think it's pretty bright. Whoever, yeah, absolutely, it, so. yeah, that makes a a must see factor. You know, it, it bumps it up big time or right. something like that. Yeah. Um, so where do you think 127 Hours is going now? Well, I mean, what would be their next step? Do you think once they open it wider, I suppose, and then do you think it'll still do well? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they have to be confident. Fox Searchlight has to be confident after this. And they're going to want to push this hard because Conviction and, and Never uh, Let Me Go both kind of flopped, you mm. know, for lack of a better word. So they, they this this and uh, Black Swan, I think they're really going to be aggressive with. And, oh, okay. you know, they, they really know how to open these kind of, you know, niche films. So, yeah, I think this is a very reassuring thing and, and they'll push it hard. I mean, I could see it, you know, easily ending up somewhere – in like the twenty-five, thirty-five million dollar cube range, mm-hmm. you know, which would be a, 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 I consider a pretty big victory, mm-hmm. you know, okay. for something like this. Yeah. So all good stuff. I'm, you know, happy to report it. Yeah, Tom, what was your personal reaction d- during the uh, the quote unquote the scene uh, in one? I know <laughs> it's, it's pretty intense, but this movie really matters. It's a it's a, a movie with 
it's a real movie. It's not just an entertainment. And, and I'm wondering, is there a chance that one of the film critics groups who would love to surprise us could name this best picture? You know, there is a kind of macho element that you could just see some of those cowboys at New York Film Critics Circle saying, ah, King's Speech is too tame. <laughs> ah, is too I've got it. I'm going to go for 127 hours. Yeah. So if something like that happens in this derby this year, it could it could actually put that seriously in the race. What is so great about that movie and Black Swan, which, by the way, is my favorite movie of the year, I'm just mm. insane about this movie, is that they're buzz movies. They're, they're real works of art. They matter. People are talking about them. And you can understand why Never Let Me Go and Conviction didn't take off, because there's not, you're not going to talk about those movies. Mm. These two, wow. Hey, Tom, um, since you're such a fan, I'm a huge fan of, of Black Swan, immediate uh, uh, you know, levitation when I saw it in uh, Toronto. But um, I was wondering if you had a view about what um, – there was a guy who, would, who saw it at the AFI Fest. Did it recently play there? The last few days, it's playing on the 11th. I'm seeing it on the 11th, actually, the closing night gala thing. So, okay. I don't know if it's played yet at Blacks. Uh, well, yeah. this, this this guy who wrote in to, to in Hollywood elsewhere, he said that um, he d- d- detected uh, very strong animosity on the part of some of the women in, in the um, uh, in the audience. And I uh, speculated about it after I had first heard about this from from Anne and uh, Sasha and I have already discussed this. I think there's some something about uh, uh, a weak and vulnerable and uh, you know emotionally uh, psychologically agitated character, and um, it's just not going down. And do you have any? theory tom as to why if if this it seems to be the case i'm going to keep hearing about it well that's a really interesting point to bring up jeff because i was talking last week down at the la times office in the calendar section with a number of editors about black swan and i sensed a lot of animosity from some of the women there and i thought this is odd because how rare is it that you get a female perspective movie like pan's labyrinth or others real movies that matter that are artistically done right. uh, it's it's a wonderful thing that hollywood does this I saw this at Toronto with Nicole Laporte from the Daily Beast. I was sitting with her at this Toronto Film Festival screening. She uh-huh. loved it. Talk about levitating out of the chair. She and I both like, oh, my God, this movie is so amazing. Yeah. So there was a female uh, who absolutely bought into it and was thrilled. And then there were some of the gals I worked with at the Times who were like, I don't get that movie. I don't like it. I wonder why. I'm, unfortunately, I can't chime in here because I have yet to see it. But we can we can pick up the discussion after I do. Um, but I do. The, some of the women um, film critics that I follow on Twitter all loved it. Like Katie Rich, who's you know in her mid twenties, um, she was saying how great it was. I haven't heard a single negative thing about it from anybody. So I mean, I'm I'm curious about it because I want to see where where it stacks up with Aronofsky's other work, and just uh-huh. in terms of how the Academy are going to take it. You know, is it Requiem for a Dream? Is it The Wrestler? You know, is it what? It's what? beyond The Wrestler, and it's definitely better than Requiem for a Dream, in my view. Wow. Yes, it's it's his masterpiece. Yeah. Mm, okay. Cool. All right. So. All right. Well, Phil, uh, what else can we get into box office wise, Phil? Do you want to? Uh, is there anything uh, coming down the pike that we should be uh, particularly uh, intrigued with in the next couple of weeks? Oh well, real quick, I'll just talk uh, fair game, and then I guess yeah. we can maybe go into Morning Glory for a mm-hmm. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that uh, that has an A minus rating. It did uh, seven hundred thousand from forty six locations. So it's it's a solid opening, but it's not. You know, I don't I don't feel there's a real urgency to to see this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it's the, the the Bush era politics. I think a lot of people just want to leave that period of time behind, yeah. as bad as it sounds. Right. You know, it's 
there's still a lot to learn from it and, and we shouldn't, but most people are like, Hey, we got enough problems. You know, a lot of people think we have enough problems with the new guys. So, yeah. you know, it's, that's, that's the reality of the situation. We have, movie. We, wait a minute. We have problems with the new guy. He means other people, uh, you know, feel that way. And that's what might be keeping them uh, away. They also just probably are just so ground down anyway that, you know, they don't really want to be, we were talking about this last week, Jeff, remember with inside job and, and some of these other great films about the Bush administration. Yes, I know it, it really is a grind to, to, to ignore um, uh, the, the facts and not, and not read news, uh, newspapers and, uh, <laughs> you know, just keep yourself in this kind of ignorance bubble. It's, it's really difficult. I, I agree. You know, it's, it's, uh, it takes a lot of effort. You have to work at it every day. So. You do. Well, not to go off topic too much, but you know, mm-hmm. Americans have been conditioned this way for the last 20 20, 30 years, you know, yeah. to to yeah. to zone out. It's even gotten right. worse in the last ten. So I know. no, I, I remember uh, a young, fair-haired lad, though I was, uh, just gritting, just just uh, grinding my teeth in exasperation when I first heard the uh, the, the the marketing line for that's entertainment, <laughs> and the marketing line was, "Boy, do we need it now!" Mm. That was right in the middle of the next <laughs> sentence, you know. <laughs> You know, we, it's so it's such a downer to be alive now, and we have to watch the Watergate hearings. Oh, now here's something we can really, you know, just fall in love with and have a good time. Wow, that's my childhood right there, Watergate, and that's entertainment. My two. <laughs> Me too, baby. <laughs> All right, Tom, I love that movie. Anyway. Yes. All right. Yeah. I, yes. I'm a, I'm I'm a huge fan of Morning Glory. I I know it works. I don't care what any. Buddy, including if there's an enemy of this film on this podcast, it is. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, it just plays and it's smart and it's engaging and um... yeah. So with Morning Glory, it's uh, you know it's good. I think that it's opening on Wednesday because it'll get an early jump on Unstoppable and Skyline, and the right. word of mouth can get out there a little bit quicker. Um, the big question mark is with you know Rachel McAdams. I think you know she's a great actress. I'm surprised that she's not a bigger star at this point, but mm-hmm. I don't think she's at the point where you can call her a you know reliable box office draw. Tom, if you could pick up what we were speaking about before, which is that you uh, were intrigued by my enthusiasm for this film, and I was saying that I believe <clears throat> that uh, Rachel McAdams' performance. Is is really uh, like has a luster and a and a spunk to it, and she's such a sharp, focused actress. This is so beyond what you might expect from somebody like Kate Hudson. You know, um, it's it's uh, it's a um, um, it's Judy Holiday mixed with Holly Hunter and Broadcast News, and uh, um, so yeah, those were Oscar nominations. But if Morning Glory is this big breakout hit, if, if the kind of enthusiasm that Jeff is expressing here catches fire and we have a real major movie on our hands this could be of course the the major movie that rachel mcadams has been looking forward you know that we've all been expecting for her to have that big breakout the question is can an oscar nomination come out of this Uh. chick flicks like pretty women uh, pretty woman and bridget jones's diary did result in oscar nominations but recently for enchanted amy adams didn't get in when we thought she might so where does this stand right i don't know what do you think jeff uh, do I? Well, I'm, I'm putting. You know what I'm doing because there's people in the room uh, having champagne and they're having uh, chocolate cupcakes. So you're joining them, right? So no. What, what I've tried to do, I've took my overcoat and I put it over my head. So if you look, at that, I've got I've got the gray overcoat over his head doing a podcast. Uh, no, that's and, so funny. <laughs> so um, 
Oh, I listen. I just I know what a real uh, ebullience and real like you, you just love this woman every second, and <laughs> it's not just about uh, uh, gray overcoats, and it's not just about uh, Rachel McAdams being a good actress. If you, it's not how good she is. It's just you really like her. You know, I think that that's that half of what uh, the best actor actress nominations are about. Or do you like this character? Do you really care about them? Do you want them to, to you know, succeed or persevere or, you know, make it through their their challenges? Right. So it's one of those performances. It just is. Hmm. I don't so. think she really has. I, I have to see the movie first, but it's such a the race is already so jam packed full of, of women that it's going to be. Really- yeah, but. But I said, though, now if I could just make this point that I made in the column, they're all suffering. They're all with a yoke around their neck. They're all, you know, tears, tear stained and, and, and morose and having a, a tough time, really having mm. some tough issues. This is the one uh, performance that is uh, not without adversity and difficulty, but it's, but the, it's just a whole different uh, energy level and it's just a different, different tune, if you will. You know, it's, it's the singer, not the song. But, mm. you know. Yeah. That's all I have to say. I guess we people have to see it, and uh, and I'm starting to get used to this overcoat effect. <laughs> I want a picture of this. It's <laughs> really. I have to say, it's really. At least I'm muffling out the the, the, the champagne chit chat around me. Going in on the champagne, I I can't really concentrate when I know you're sitting there with a, a coat of your. Yeah. <laughs> Like a little Look, are those people thinking in that room looking yeah. over you, Jeff? Doing, you know? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, I'm trying not to, to laugh. Right. Okay, <laughs> so <clears throat> the next trick is to move the overcoat around the <laughs> laptop so I can see the best director nominee that we agreed to talk about. Because I have to have that to uh, here. I'm doing that right now. <laughs> the overcoat is going over the uh, power book. Back the <laughs> Oops! And now somebody's tapping on the shoulder. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> I'll lose the I'll lose the connection because the Wi-Fi is in a different uh, room. I'm being told to move now. No more overcoat. Hang on. Oh. <laughs> All right. Hold on. I'm going. I'm, I'm, the, the overcoat and the whole operation is moving now. Hang on. <laughs> I'm so- oh, it's the funniest thing ever, Jeff. <laughs> you know what? God. Admit it. Admit it. Uh-huh. It's security that's ushering out the door. <laughs> I love that you're devoted enough to this to do that there. I really appreciate that. It's really cool of you, even though, you know, they doesn't seem to be a very hospitable place to be recording. Oh, no, no. It's, they're so nice. Everybody's beautiful here. This is, oh. Paramount people are lovely. And and by the way, they're handing out all these beautiful, really delicious morning glory cupcakes everywhere. They're, they're just full. Of, the room is full of them. Plus champagne. Everybody's happy. Uh, you know, I'm going to the uh, morning glory premiere tonight at the Ziegfeld. Uh, I'm going to, you know, schmoozing with Diane Keaton and Rachel McAdams. Oh, and, lucky. Going, Going to the boathouse for a party afterwards. It's going to be a lot of fun. So mm. it's a it's a nice movie. No, it's a it's a very uh, oh they see they are really considered. They just close the doors. So okay, no more noise. Everything's fine. That's great. That's great. So now they've given you your own room. So yes, my entire own room. I have oh. three, three urns of coffee with little Bunsen burners underneath. I have four <laughs> bottles of champagne, six open glasses, twenty five Morning Glory cupcakes, all my <laughs> This podcast will never end. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Oh, God. Okay. <clears throat> All right. So um, <laughs> we got to give Phil a goodbye. Okay. Jeff. Phil, it was great as usual. You're uh, you're uh, an excellent uh, 
uh, box office uh, analyzer, and uh, uh, good to have you with us on a weekly basis. So. Yeah. yeah, thanks again for having me, guys. Always a pleasure. Talk right, to you well. soon. Okay, right. bye. Be well. Take thanks. Care. Bye-bye. All right, guys, so we, we're going to look at that's, that's what happened. No. I have nothing. I'm just still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Okay, so, so we're going to be uh, discussing on a name-by-name basis the people most likely at this stage, and it's again, it's pretty early, although Tom says when uh, we, we was polling everybody for his Gold Derby uh, thing, he said, now I want to know, you know, you got to name people that are going to win now. You know, none of this, like, they look good and they might make it in. We want to hear about winners. And I said, I don't think he can really think about winners at this stage. Uh, and you, you know, you really can't. You have to narrow it down at least to a solid six or seven and then say, okay, here's what I think it looks like. But I just don't, I think it's too early. Well, I think people take that into consideration when they're making their predictions. They just kind of say, well, what do I think? If, I, if somebody asked me today, what do I think will win? That's what I think will win today. But, you know, we're all allowed to change our minds in the next weeks and months. So... Okay. It's just a starting point. And the race changes all the time. The race is out of our hands. It, it, that's the fun part of our job is that we get to track it. But it's no longer a case of where you could see American Beauty, you know, a movie that was clearly destined to sweep the Oscars, open in September and then dominate all the way through. Right. Or a Titanic. Now it changes because the Critics Awards are having an effect. We bloggers are having an effect. Mm. There used to be a disconnect between the old Geezer Academy crowd who were in their ivory tower and while everybody was giving awards to LA Confidential, they kind of ignored it, you know. Yeah. All the critics' awards were going to Mulholland Drive, and the Oscar voters ignored it, uh-huh. at least in Best Picture lineup. Now, what we saw last year was an absolute earthquake in terms of Oscarology, which was we've penetrated that Oscar group. They're now uh, reading the blogs. They're now following this momentum that breaks out with the critics' awards, and we know that for three reasons. One is that uh, a movie like The Hurt Locker, which lost money, had no A-list stars, etc., went all the way, propelled by the critics' groups. Uh-huh. But then the other thing which I find even more fascinating and was the game-changer last year is when you look back at Oscar history, very few examples are, are there of a star that wins critics' awards, Golden Globes, SAG Awards, and then all of a sudden wins the Oscar. There are only, what, 15 or 20 of them. We had two last year with Monique and with Christoph Waltz. That cannot be a coincidence at the uh. same year that the Hurt Locker. So what it is, it's, it's the race now is they're winning earlier on with uh, the Critics Awards. That's being defined. But yet there are the surprise factors like Jeff Bridges and uh, the Blind Side storming the race and uh. ambushing the race in the home stretch, uh. which is fascinating. Right. Yeah. Like Million Dollar Baby did um, three, four years ago, whatever that was. Yeah. Right, so, Tom, time. what you're saying is that in the past um, that we would have these these contenders that would win everything and then get down to the Oscars and then not win. Sure, Sissy Spacek in the bedroom. Remember that right. she wins every single thing and then boom, loses at the Oscars. Uh. Now, uh, there it seems that the Oscar voters actually, you know, are looking on the internet. They're hearing the buzz for something. Mm. There's a momentum, and and suddenly we as bloggers matter. Uh-huh. That's the scary part. They're losing us. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. know if I'd go that far. But... <laughs> hey, Sasha, I know that I know that uh, people read uh, Tom and yourself and me. I I know it because every time I go to a junket, the producers always say uh, that I've I've read what you're you know uh, you know they're they're aware they really are they're they're reading me they're reading Tom they're reading you know so it's it's uh, it, within the industry at least. Um, Believe me, it's uh, everybody reads it. Everybody processes it. It become it's part of the discussion. No mm. question. Um, okay. Can we go uh, from the bottom of the directors list and just 
We'll just start talking about sure. the people who are the uh, who who may be uh, less likely, but let's just let's just start off with um, uh, the director of one of the easily probably one of the best, uh, certainly one of the ten best. The kids of all right are all right, and her name is Lisa Cholodenko, and she did one of the, mo- the most uh, accessible and um, and um, you know anybody could watch that film and um, it and and get it, and it's and it's and as you said, it's you know kind of revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a, a, a gay couple has having the same. Um, uh, sadnesses and and issues and infidelity and you know communication with the kids so it's it's a pretty strong film and I I really respect what she did it's it's a there's no no question that it's that it's got that she got the chops down it's a good film yeah right um, I think that it's it was a lot better than I was expecting it to be I, I thought it was going to be a kind of a by the numbers film um, but you don't really see serious seriously done dramas about lesbians right. I mean if you see a gay film at all it's usually gay men Uh Uh, not often do they go there with lesbians and they what i liked about it was they really went there they didn't try to sugarcoat it and make it like Uh they weren't lesbians they talk about it it's everything's out in the open the kids are kind of semi-freaked out but they love their parents and they love their family and um i actually disagree with you now that i've seen it about mark ruffalo i do think it's better that they cast him aside and the reason was that he kind of stormed into their lives like i'm the man you know, and everybody needs a man, and I like. I don't think that he they... stormed in though. He was sought out by the by the kids, and initially, in. initially, but then he tries to talk Julianne more into having a relationship and breaking up their family, as if what they had wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I liked that they confronted that. Um, if he had been a little bit nicer and backed off a little more, I would think he would have been a more welcome part of their family. But as it was, he seemed to kind of just want to marry her and take over role as the father and push out Annette Benning and make Julianne uh-huh. more straight and, like, you know, put this family into the, the mold of what a quote-unquote normal family is. I'm not saying okay. he's the villain. I think it's a natural mm-hmm. response, especially mm-hmm. if you're seeing your kids for the first time. Right. Um, so Okay. All right. Um, Tom, do you have any feelings about Cholodenko's, uh, how strong she is? Uh, I think she could be nominated. There's no way she can win. There is really you know, something extremely offensive about this movie, and that is that if a straight person had directed this film, it would have been rejected out of hand. Because think about the premise, that you have this loving lesbian couple, a straight guy looks at one of them, and she flips. She's suddenly straight and goes right. and falls in the sack. It's an insult to lesbian love. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it really is. I, I totally get it's that, just... except for the fact that I just have to interject one thing and say that the les the gay the straight sex was awkward, really awkward. Like she didn't quite know oh, what yeah. she was doing. I thought she wasn't yeah, yeah. she wasn't really playing the I'm so into this. Like for instance, contrast that with the sex he has in the beginning with that beautiful black woman um i mean (laughs) it's it's okay so we'll let her off the hook because she was uncomfortable no i know but i I think that that's one of the problems with the movie but uh, it's not strong enough to win but she's certainly in the mix yeah Hmm. actually i thought the sex scene between uh julianne moore and annette benning was very good because it um shows uh anybody who's uh, never known any gay couples that uh, everybody gets is prey to kind of things uh, kind of cooling down and uh, sex life getting a little blah. You know, they're kind of watching TV at the same time. The best they had to get, watch gay porn to get themselves going. Right. Uh, pretty, pretty, pretty interesting. You know, I just you know, it's just one of the things you really like about those characters. They just seem like you or me or anybody. You know, they're nice people. My question is, and yeah, sorry to interrupt. Um, my question is that in terms of the Oscar race, I can count four directors I think are locks, and then there's one spot that isn't, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. if. If Lisa, if Lisa Chodolinko, 
Cholodenko might not make it in as the fifth uh-huh. nominee. But I also want to say that I think, in my opinion, Deborah Granick, if you're just talking about women directors, all has a has a slightly better shot at being nominated as one of the directors, and that's because Winter's Bone is a, is a much more traditional Academy movie. And uh, I don't usually buy into that whole traditional Academy thing, but I think that it's it's visionary enough, cinematic enough, um, that, you know, it's possible. Then again, they could cancel each other out because it's two female directors, and if they want to try to get a female director into the five, then they're not going to know who to vote for. So chances are neither of them will get in. I don't believe that Winter's Bone is a real Academy movie because it's not very. <clears throat> it's it's satisfying to see um, to see Jennifer Lawrence uh, uh, persevere and and uh, and be strong for her family and 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 not back off to start being threatened. But uh, it's it's a grim film. It feels like they're they're on a uh, some kind of reservation. It's like a minimum security prison. I feel I felt like I was in prison hmm. uh, watching <laughs> this film. You know. Right. Right. What did you think? Well, wouldn't it be sad that one year? Wouldn't it be sad after, one year after a woman finally wins Best Director that we have two contenders and neither get in? But I, I agree with you, Sasha. I think that neither will get in because there are so many strong men. Uh, who are your four right. that you think are locked? Um, <clears throat> okay, my locks are David Fincher, of course, for The Social Network in the number one spot to win. There's right behind him is. Tom Hooper for The King's Speech, and then Danny Boyle for 127 Hours, and Christopher Nolan for Inception. So Darren Aronofsky could be the fifth, you know. Probably mm. will be the fifth, actually. That's what I think. Yeah, I was going to say that. Mm. How about you, Tom? So you're not putting the Coen brothers in there? Uh, uh, I, we haven't seen True Grit, of course, yet. Or, or... That's the reason. There are only five like, spots, so I can't, I know. You, you know. It's just really too, we've been down this road. I would hate road. to see Darren Aronofsky not get in there for such a masterpiece of a film but right. i know i think i think he's he's on the outside there i fear okay here's an interesting concept for you tom let's say that those are the five and then the coen brothers pushes somebody out you know it's going to be tom hooper so if tom hooper's yeah, out how does the- this race i know that's what makes the whole race so interesting this year because normally they pick best picture based on who directs it right mm-hmm. the the king speech is the traditional academy movie that they really love and it'll probably have the most nominations too because right. it's got all those crafts categories like costumes and stuff mm. and that of course usually means the movie that and it also has a rooting factor you watch that and you're rooting so much for the the characters which the social network doesn't have they're such slime balls you're not rooting for them right but the social network has the director factor david fincher is the cool director this year that you want to vote for just like Catherine Bigelow was last year. Right. And that usually is such a strong factor that it even helped a beautiful mind win a few years ago when yes. it was under attack from all fronts for its sugarcoating its real life story. They Hollywood wanted to give Ron Howard that that director's Oscar so bad the movie got a free ride with it. You got so, it. Here's Hooper. Nobody's saying Tom Hooper is overdue to win an Oscar. So that's the one weak weak link in the King's speech theory that that could go all the way exactly now you sasha and you said you know that it's going to be hooper if it has to, they have to lose somebody uh you mean that people are going to automatically think well it perhaps because it has a kind of a it doesn't have kind of it has a definite conservative vibe it has a, a, a cautious uh right down to the uh, you know um the, to the narrative and it doesn't have a um uh, um, uh, an, an aggressively exciting style. However, I think that's an appropriate style for a film that takes place in, in England in the late 1930s. It uh, feels like it belongs to that. No, so. I do too, and that's why I think Tom Hooper is in right now. That's why he's one of my locks. I'm just saying if the Coens 
True Grit is as good as, you know, everybody's saying it's going to be, and then everybody loves the Coen brothers, especially the DGA. I don't mm-hmm. see how, um, I don't see who they're going to bump. Let's say they're not going to bump Christopher Nolan because, first of all, he directed Inception. Second of mm-hmm. all, they, the reason, the whole reason they even have 10 nominees in the first place is because The Dark Knight was snubbed. So I don't see them throwing him out, although it's possible if they don't connect with Inception. It is possible. No way David Fincher, no way Danny Boyle, and who's the mm-hmm. other one? Darren Aronofsky, yeah, uh, possible. But those five that I mentioned to you are the ones that I think have the best chance right now. I, at least four out of those five will be nominated. All right, let me throw this into the mix. Peter Weir is always nominated, right. especially by the director guild, etc., for the way back. So, don't we have to consider that the odds are heavily stacked that the directors guild and the directors branch at the academy are going to include him, or at least yes. really, really consider him seriously? Absolutely. Well, that- well, that, wouldn't that be, uh, to be frank, uh, what would be called a sympathy vote because he's had such a hard time at getting this film shown and because the distributor of The Way Back, uh, Newmarket, they're, they're being very careful and I don't blame them for a second about what they want to spend and how to, how to release this. In fact, they didn't even want to bring it into New York during the, um, the calendar year because they've been advised by our friend Cynthia Swartz at 42 West that it's just uh, – uh, they can't necessarily be assured of any um, bounty or payoff from mm. the New York film critics. I mean, they might, but they mm-hmm. can't be assured of that. So they decided basically to punt and you know, not open in New York. Um, so that's um, that's tough. I mean, I'm again, uh, heart that goes out to them. They believe in the film. They're trying to get it out there, but, um, but it, it well, doesn't they, matter what they think of the film or the or the movie right, going public. Exactly. We're talking about. You know, 600 members of the director's branch at the Academy, and we're talking about, you know, quite a few people in the DGA who love this man. He's always nominated. It's, see, that's the thing, Tom, is it's 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 always about that, almost. Uh, every once in a while, it's about the movie, and it's about how great the movie is. But for the most part, the director is the star of the Best Picture race, and the director is the one that the more popular they are in the Academy and the DGA, the more chance they have of getting nominated. Like Tom is saying, the Master and Commander was not, a movie that everybody was predicting was would be a big Oscar movie, you know, but because it was mm. Peter Weir, it was in. And right. <clears throat> so the chance of it, you know, it has to do with who they admire, who they want to emulate. That's why. Um, but isn't this seen as a, uh, as a solid and respectable, but slightly, but not really grade a Weir by some people, this film. Um, I don't know. Have you seen it, Tom? No, I haven't. Have oh, you guys? Yeah. I saw it. Yeah. Um, Sasha has. I haven't seen it. I'll see it on uh, Thursday. I felt about it very similarly that I did Master and Commander, which was it was an epic. It was a respectable epic. The second half is much more involving than the first. It didn't make my skirt fly up, but it was um, uh-huh. it was very respectable. I could see, based on what Tom's saying about how much they love Peter Weir, I could see them nominating it um, for his sake. But by the same token, they could also go with Clint Eastwood for Hereafter, uh, exactly by the same. Good point. Good point. Yeah, so. uh, I don't think that's a credible thing at this point. I, the, the movie has fizzled uh, commercially. Uh, several people in our realm uh, believe that it's uh, one of his lesser films. Yeah, I know. I know that you are of the opinion that it's one of his better films. And I don't, Tom. What do you think about Hereafter? I, I don't know what to think. I liked it. I, I, I'm curious about its potential with the Academy because of how everybody underestimated Ghost and it was one of the surprise nominees of this year. Uh, People want to believe in the hereafter. And the interesting thing about this movie and Ghost is that there's no question, there's nobody in that movie hereafter that 
that, that introduces any doubt whatsoever. It exists, you accept it, and you take the story where it goes. And to a bunch of old geezers at the Academy, <laughs> that's very comforting. People who are close to death, let's be honest. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what to think either. The movie is not that much of a commercial success, but look, The Hurt Locker lost money if you look at it in terms of net numbers last year. Does that matter anymore? Mm. Mm. I don't know about that. I, I, you know, like you say, we're going to have to just wait and see how the uh, critics awards play out because um, if if one movie wins one of the critics awards, like you said, if it, you know if Black Swan starts winning everything, then Darren Aronofsky's in for sure, obviously. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and then he pushes out anybody who is going to take that fifth spot. I mean, we're still people think it's all figured out, but really we're just getting started and things can change. Not, let, let me let me pose this kind of thing that that happens in these critics groups. A few years ago. Thelma Adams, dear Thelma Adams, part of Gold Derby. In fact, she was the first pundit to join Gold Derby. Hmm. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to rat on her and tell this story. She may be <laughs> mad at me for telling it, but the year of Gosford Park, she was telling me that she was sitting there at the voting session and looking over everybody's ballots over their shoulders and seeing everybody put down Maggie Smith, Maggie Smith, for, and then she said, Nah. Um, she put <laughs> Helen Mirren down. She said, Let's shake it up a little bit, you know. Yeah. Or no, she looked over somebody's shoulder and saw Helen Mirren instead of Maggie Smith. She put it, and then. That, that set off a, a wave that resulted in her nomination. Yeah. A similar thing happened with uh, Marcia Gay Harden going all the way. Mm. Now, he, let's, Thelma loves Black Swan. It's her number one movie of the year. Mm. There are people within the New York film critics who could, you could see that actually happening because it's a small group of people. They, they're like a dog with a bone in their mouth. If they love this movie or 127 hours, that could mm-hmm. be a game changer. Yeah. Well, so what do we think? Do, we, do you guys have seen Black Swan? There's probably no, can it win Best Picture? Not no, with a les- uh, no. not with a lesbian sex scene. There's no. <laughs> no, that's, well, that's not, not it. It's, 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 it's the fact that it's a. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, you're you're going to say the same thing. It's it's like repulsion. It's it's a, basically about a a, 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 a you know, an, an engaging uh, uh, character who nonetheless self destructs uh, through paranoia and anxiety and self doubt about her, her her ability to to compete as a ballet dancer, and uh, it's a. Uh, it's 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 powerful, but it's not. It's a it's a dark piece. It's almost a horror film, but not. In fact, Aronofsky himself told me last summer, "I'm working. I'm finishing up my horror film." And I, when he said that, I thought, "Horror film? Why? Why, why would you make me making a genre piece?" And then, uh, and then he wrote me back an email. I don't do genre. Well, he's right. He 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 made his own film, but it, it does flirt with that a little bit. Hmm. Um, um, I just wonder I don't think if it I... win because. I don't think it can win because it's a female perspective movie, and those geezers in the academy, uh, the old boys, just don't vote for that kind of thing. Mm. Okay. Unless it's Jim Brooks directing it. Um, but, but Tom, let me just can I just sag really, you know, into Best Actress for a minute? Um, if Black Swan is that good, and everybody's putting it as their number one, and it's not going to win Best Picture, then doesn't that mean that Natalie Portman has got to have to be the front runner to win? I was thinking it was going to be Annette Bening, but as you guys are talking about Black Swan, now I'm wondering if uh, the groundswell for that film might carry Natalie over to the win. What do you think? I don't know what to think because that race is so interesting. If you go with the babe factor, they always vote for the prettiest girl. Uh, of course, it's Natalie Portman. Uh-huh. But we've been seeing lately from Susan Sarandon and Dead Man Walking to Helen Mirren and The Queen – they do sometimes like to catch up with the overdue veteran, right. and that, of course, is Annette Benning. Annette Benning is, even though there's no performance, I, I don't see her giving any real dramatic performance in that film. It's it, If anybody else did that role, we wouldn't even be talking about it. But because mm-hmm. we love Annette Benning so much and, and the package is so perfect and she's overdue, yes, I think she can win. And people are 
actively rooting for her to win. Now, Natalie Portman, she's kind of bland. She's wonderful in the movie, but you, her personality doesn't come through. Am I right, Jeff? It's it's well, you're, it's not you know you know you don't feel great support for her, but you're fascinated by her because you understand she's very scared. She doesn't know she has the chops or the talent to be really the the person that um, uh, that uh, Vincent Cassell wants, and maybe she might get replaced. Who knows? And there's this girl who's quite a good. Uh, she's much more of a politician. So it's really about uh, you know um, uh, life is going to take me down. I'm scared. Um, so it's fascinating because we all have been there. We're all worried about progress our our, our our you know our journey in life so mm. it's really quite a fascinating film so, um so what is could it- i start a wizard i was going to say you know you just said something i was thinking about a whispering campaign about oh, yeah. annette mm-hmm. benny if i wanted to be uh, the mean guy you know how they oh, whis- they whispered uh, around uh, about uh, saving private ryan yeah. you know if you take out that opening sequence and on, on the beach in d-day what is it really you know right, okay right. Here's my whispering campaign. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. I'm not because I love Annette Benning. I've always loved, she's very good in this film. But take out the freak out scene when she discovers Julianne Moore's hair and the brush upstairs and she goes back to the, you know, the dinner table and she starts convulsing quietly uh, about what she realizes right. is going on. Take right. out that scene. What do you have? You have basically, you know. A good performance, and but she's basically – that's the scene. That's what – But you know what? It. No one can ever argue anything again after Sandra Bullock won last year <laughs> because <laughs> I know. there you. was zero performance there. I mean she was charming and likable, but give me a break. So I thought Annette Bening was wonderful, and I laughed out loud at a lot of her lines. I, my favorite scene of hers is when she says, hemp – Hemp milk? Give me a fucking break. (laughs) I love that scene. That's my favorite scene. I love that character. I thought she was so well written. She was so complex. She was so funny and strange and bitchy. And, you know, it really takes a lot of courage to write a female character like that. You know, usually they're just, they're these little templates that come out. This girl, that girl, this girl, that girl, you know, and here comes somebody who's completely unique, you know. And, a, and, so. a, and a, a person who really cares a lot about her partner, and she's the breadwinner, and she's trying to, but she's kind of has to be the mom. She has to kind of like, uh, you know, tell Rachel, uh, Rachel, um, I mean, um, Julianne Moore, what to do, and uh, you know, I just thought she was a very well-rounded character, good writing in that but film. Basically, so. Sandra Bullock will now invalidate mm. <laughs> any type of, but this other person deserves that argument because it just mm. shows you that they they do. It is a popularity contest a lot of times, and it really just depends on who they like, who they want to mm. give the award to, what character they most admire. You know, mm. so so looking at the people that are we've now decided are not going to be on this list, and I <laughs> and I and I believe that that includes. I'm sorry, not this year, <clears throat> Clint Eastwood. Uh, uh, Mike Lee, uh, one of the masters, truly a, mm. a masterful director. What we're saying is, don't even right, we haven't even mentioned him until this. Uh, no, forget it. Forget it. You're saying. You even think though that so? film doesn't have anything unsure about it, that film really knows what it's doing. It's very clear and clean. His work with uh, bringing out Leslie Manville's performance. What a magnificent performance! Oh, and they, yeah, they love Mike Lee anyway. I, I mean, what a year for directors we have. This is just really. Uh, now, Tom, why do you say immediately forget it though? Why did you say that? Uh, I, the, when I saw the movie, the, the, the general response from the people around me at the Toronto Film Festival was a big shrug. Mm. I didn't see the bubbling enthusiasm for it. There are various pockets of it, but I don't, I don't see enough of it to take that to a nomination for him. Mm. Okay. okay. All right. 
And we can't talk about David or Russell because <clears throat> the fighter is only going to just be seen this week. I'm seeing it on – it's either Wednesday or Thursday. I think mm-hmm. it's Thursday. Mm-hmm. Is that when you're supposed to be seeing it, Tom? Uh, and, uh, yeah, on, on the 10th. There's a screening yeah. here in okay. L.A. Oh, okay. I get to see you there, Tom. That's so fun. Yes, I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen you in years, Sasha. I know, honey. I Greta, know. Greta Garbo of Oscar Blogger. <laughs> Tom was my first ever podcast. He, he coaxed me out, and I did a podcast with him. <laughs> what are we talking about? Yeah. Is this 04, 03? When was this? A long time ago. A long time ago, yeah. But, but you know, Sasha and I were are really, depending on how you measure it, either the Adam and Eve or the grandpa and grandma of this whole <laughs> longest year of business with the Oscars. Because uh, we both started in 1999. We don't know who started first, so we declare it a tie. Uh, <laughs> I want to do a, a picture of me and Tom as, like, um, you know, young Frankenstein. <laughs> He's Gene Wilder, and I'm, you know, Terry Garr. And we've created this hideous pretty, monster. It really is a hideous monster. Or if you say, if you, if with the Adam and Eve of Oscar bloggers, you know, we have children who are killing each other like Cain and Eve. But it's definitely a horror movie. That's true. Yeah, it's so funny. Okay. Um, so and the last person we haven't discussed is uh, the uh, very respected. Uh, a guy who's in for a long, healthy career as the new Sidney Pollock. And we're talking, of course, about Ben Affleck, who directed the town that is mystifyingly popular with the Hoi Polloi and uh, <laughs> less popular with uh, folks like us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so he has no shot, right? No, 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 no. I don't think so. No, okay. Good, vigorous uh, car chases and bank robbery scenes, no question. Uh, and just don't believe the writing, really. And he's responsible for that. It's his. Didn't he? Wait a minute. Did he co-write or what? This, this yes, screenplay he did. Mm-hmm. Okay. He co-adapted it. Yeah. You have to. You have to make that uh, believable, and you have to make it play. So, right. uh, I, I don't think it's believable that film, that story. Yeah, and he's not quite in the club yet. He probably will be eventually because he just doesn't. He just seem like he's the kind of guy that that will eventually be in the DGA club, but he's yeah. not quite there yet. You know, the most impressive thing apart. I mean, I, I respected the town, and I liked uh, um, the. Uh, I really liked uh, Gone, Maybe Gone. Uh, but uh, I really like the way he handled himself in 04 at the Democratic Convention in Boston. Did you guys ever watch him? When he, he's really good. He knows mm-hmm. politics. He knows mm-hmm. how to handle himself on camera. He's, he's, um, he's a really appealing fellow. So he's just told me right away, he's on everything else, he's an excellent politician. He'll be around for 40, 50 years. Right. He's, he's, really, he's, he's in it for the long haul, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I agree. I agree. All right. I also have some questions from readers that I put to them. I picked out five if you want to go through those. Or let's we can, do that. Okay, because we could yeah, also talk about David Fincher versus Tom Hooper. But, okay, so let's do um, – okay, so this one comes from Kelly D., and this is for either of you. If you could change anything about the current voting system, what would you change or fix? In the, within the academy? Yeah. Uh, Tom, you want to go first or – yeah, there would be two things I would fix. One is I would do the same thing the Emmys do, which is require them, force them to watch everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, there's that whole uh, affidavit system at the Oscars. And if they don't think that they can see all the, enough, all the movies, the voters in every category, do what the Emmys do. Say, right, you're, gonna, you're limited to four or five, and you're, you guarantee you're going to watch everything. But, and, and, of course, that's never going to happen. But the one thing that needs to happen is – the Oscars have the most schizophrenic voting system, if you think about it. Nominees choose the – I mean, the, uh, peer groups choose the nominees and everybody chooses the winner. Hmm. Well, that's what, – what sense does that make? 
right. if, the, if, if everybody in the academy is qualified to choose the winner, why isn't everybody in the academy qualified to choose the nominees? Good point. I'm not saying that they should, but it's it's weird. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's very weird because then you have like these lame winners for cinematography who people who don't know anything about cinematography. It's just like, oh, it's the prettiest one, you know. And they never mm-hmm. listen to people who write about what or the, the the cinematographers what they think is the best. Generally speaking, it's it's just you know they go on their own opinion. So you're right. Why shouldn't they pick the nominees? Uh, it makes sense. Or let the nominees pick the winners too. Be consistent, in other words. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Like at the Grammys, at the Grammys, you have to. Do, define i think it's nine areas of expertise so you say i'm an expert in reggae and rap and and you're confined to those nine areas and there are more than 40 i believe to choose from and then everybody's allowed to vote for best album record and song of the year and new artist so let's say that you use that equivalent at the oscars everybody could vote for best picture but only actors if only actors can vote for the nominees i think only actors should vote for the winner yeah. Okay, I think that's a great answer. Um, I, if it was me, I would I would make them release the vote counts and the demographics because I'm very interested to know how many women are in there, what the age group uh, of the voters are now, what the age group is, and I'd like to know how many how close the race was between certain films. Mm-hmm. And yeah, exactly. They'll never well, do I, it, but I'd love to know. Would I love to know how uh, close the Best Picture race for 1953 was? I would love to know that. I mean, I really would. I would like to know. Uh, uh, the, the vote tallies for each and every single year. It would be one of the greatest books if someone could get that data. It really would, mm-hmm. but they'll never release that information. They're very secretive, and that's what makes them so uh, enigmatic and compelling. <laughs> um, okay, here's the, the second Wait, question. Can I, add, can I oh, ask yeah. my, offer an answer as to what I would change? Sure, yeah. Uh, it's the same thing every year. Uh, I think uh, Tom was alluding to it about how things are changing, and you know, last year was a was a real uh, bellwether year. Uh, the 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 old the old group uh, basically. Um, in a in a nice way, in a polite way, but I would I would want to get rid of the Deadwood uh, more aggressively. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you and wanted that, to kill them. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about so, like Soviet reviewing committees. You know, suspected Deadwood people would be put in front of a, a group of five stern-faced uh, judges, and they would be asked several questions about films they've seen, people they know. Uh, you know, just basically, and you could you could determine if the if the suspected Deadwood person was in fact a a Deadwood. And uh, in you know, I'm not trying to. I know I'm trying to be comedic here, but I but I really do mean it would be nice to get rid of some of the people. Who I know Tom knows this. I know Pete Hammond knows this. Everybody who knows the the actual and had those conversations, there are people out there that aren't giving a lot of uh, passionate thought to um, to the race. So they're they're letting their secretaries aside. You know, there there people are just. I think this is a serious calling. This is like the priesthood. This is like. Uh, you know, you have to take it seriously. You have to really be a believer. You know? Well, they they don't uh, they don't have to see all the movies, so that's why a lot of times the votes are just whatever they want to watch on the screener pile. I mean, the people have to realize that the Academy winners are usually decided by screeners, not screenings, because a lot of people don't just can't be bothered. I mean, in fact, a lot of the old guard, a lot of the old retirees, are the ones that make it out to the screenings. You know, because they got nothing else to do. But, you know, right, Tom? Um, But most of them, you know, like Renee Zellweger or whatever on the fly, they're just going to pop in a screener and whatever they have. They're not going to sit there patiently and watch every single one. And I can tell you there are some films that, A, they won't even open and put in in the first place. And, B, Mm -hmm. some of them they won't even be able to get past the first 15 minutes. And then they'll pop in another. Um, So people should remember that, that it is about the screeners more than it is about – 
you you guys all know the the feeling that uh, so when you go to see something and you're basically looking to, to be as conscientious and uh, ab- absorbing as much as you can each and every week, and you go to a film and you think, I don't even know if I'm sure I glad or SVP to this thing. I'm not sure that I'm looking forward to it, and then it happens, and it's not just that it's an exceptional film that it really it ignites something in you but you're really glad that you saw it with a group it just makes a difference somehow and uh, uh, I, I know that there are some films that I could point to right now like for instance perhaps the Elliot Spitzer documentary by Alex Gibney called Client 9 Rise and Fall hey I may not have popped even popped that in out of like well I know what that story is mm. you know I know about Spitzer but it's more than that and, and, and I think uh, probably with a lot of films that should uh, be seen there's a lot of um unfortunate uh, instances with a lot of people just not even you know watching them it's really too bad but here's an interesting point um we probably wouldn't even exist if they did because one of the reasons that bloggers and critics and for your consideration ads and publicists are all so vital in the oscar race is because the academy they don't really pay that much attention <laughs> Right. And so they go with the buzz. I mean, sometimes, sometimes, of course, it is they're voting with their heart and, you know, they're voting for what they like and all of that. But, you know, there there kind of has to be a middleman in there somewhere um, mm-hmm. because they're just mm-hmm. they're just doing their thing. They're they're working, you know, on films and they go to, right. you know, they're not their job isn't to look at and analyze film. Their job is mm-hmm. to art is to make them. So sure. that's why it's it's, you know, it's important to have people who write also write about those films to help them to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, right? That's all. What's the next question? The next question is: uh, Travis is wondering if there's any chance at all for a screenplay nomination for the Ghost Rider. Hmm. That's a good point. That film is uh, is uh, will always be, and never nobody's going to take that off uh, my best of the year list. And uh, it's only because, uh, well, it's partly because. Uh, you know, it's, if, if it had come out, uh, you know, uh, last week or something, it would be a different story. Um, it, it's just an excellent Polanski film. I, I don't know how much it, um, it, it, it uh, you know, establishes that emotional connection that makes it sort of reverberate and everything, but it's so nicely done and so satisfyingly done. Uh, it, yeah, but it's a crowded category. You've got for adapted screenplay, 127 right. hours. Right. You've got Social Network. You've got Toy Story 3, True Grit, even Witter's Bone. Yeah. You know, even uh, I, I don't see how it gets in over all that. And, yeah. e- and even beyond that, there's always going to be the, the people who say a child rapist, um, you know, this film is getting recognized. So people always pop in and say that anytime you bring up the ghostwriter. So it's it's just on his shoe and there's nothing we can do about that. So basically we're saying no, we don't think there's a chance. Um, Okay, so the next question is, do you think there will be a split in the picture and director categories? I can see picture going to the King's Speech and best director being a fight between Christopher Nolan and David Fincher. What do you think? Yes, I could very well see that happening this year. Yeah. Because I don't see any any way that Tom Hooper wins best, or Hoover, what's his name? Hooper wins best director. We don't even know who he is. (laughs) <laughs> Boy, poor Tom Hooper. We're taking it on the taking it in the neck during this podcast. I'm telling you, nobody knows who he is. If anybody's going to get the boot, he is. You know, uh, you know, he's well, very personable. He's a, he's a good-looking guy. He's he's yeah. making the rounds. You know, I, I sort of have a theory about that because you know there there have been instances where um, first timers or semi unknowns do come in and win, like uh, Sam Mendes, for instance. 
but they have to have a cinematic quality the, the people who watch the film have to be in love with the film and the directing and that person has to suddenly burst to the forefront as mm-hmm. a visionary uh extraordinary director as Sam Mendes did and I'm hearing a lot about the King's Speech how much people love it but so far it hasn't been about Tom Hooper it's been about the actors it doesn't mean it can't win of course it can so but you know it's like with Rob Marshall and Chicago Um, as good as that movie is I don't know that people were you know jumping up and down calling him a visionary they were mostly saying he did a great Bob Fosse imitation you know so very uh, it's I I I don't want to get on this, it's probably for another uh, podcast down the road. But <laughs> no, I'm afraid of what you're going to say. But bring it I'm up just, anyway. <laughs> it's it's really uh, social network versus the King speech is the is the uh, you know the, the 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 choice between something that seems to be about something dynamic and fresh and and uh, exciting and in a structural way and and really brilliantly acted versus something that is conventionally and i don't put that down because i am one of the biggest conventional emotional saps you're going to find and i understand what people like about the king's speech but it just seems like a relapse it seems like a fallback it's a comfort movie it's a it's a it's our wheelhouse movie and i don't think it's a transcendent experience i think it's a very satisfying one i understand why people are 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 behind it but i don't think it would be a very courageous thing to do for that to win i think it would be much more exciting and i think that history would look much more kindly upon the the group that voted for the social network than they would for the king's speech well i just think all due respect yeah Yeah. the difference is harvey harvey weinstein is doing the king's speech and i think that's the thing that's that makes it to me a, a much more serious threat I just think that Harvey yeah. is somebody that I trust. Look what he did with Inglorious Bastards last year. That movie almost won Best Picture. I mean, that's yeah. amazing to me. He's amazing to me. He still is, after all these years, to me, the guy that knows the Academy best and knows how to push these films, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I hear a lot of – I think the real factor here is, Sasha, what you said earlier about the blind side and Sandra Bullock. There was no performance there. She didn't deserve to win, but she did because they were just willing her to win because they liked her in that movie so much. There, right. That is very much a factor behind the King's speech. When I ask people, Academy members even, and Guild members, what movies that they've liked so far, they go, oh, I really love the King's speech. Oh, I really network. They don't. So if you just look in terms of, social, uh, of selfish voting patterns, mm-hmm. the same thing that propels Sandra to that win, uh, they just loved her so much they yeah. want to give a hug out. There is that factor behind the King's speech that the social network doesn't have but the social network has the cool factor and the hurt locker it's victory last year that's so interesting because it's like it is that sort of the heart wants what it wants um theory of academy voting and sometimes they do slip into that like with slumdog millionaire nothing was going to stop that movie from winning nothing Mm -hmm. so you know king's speech if it's like that movie then sure no matter what people say no matter what they write it's just going to be king's speech all the way down the line because they loved it you know there is no way that Harvey's going to let the King's Speech be entered by at HFPA as a comedy because he wants to crush Scott Rudin <laughs> early on. That's what is so interesting about this year is those two producers, the most vibrant and important people historically in modern independent filmmaking, mm-hmm. almost killed each other the year of the reader. <laughs> and, 
hurling nuclear devices at each other <laughs> as Scott pulled out of the reader and Harvey got it in there for best picture over breaking the odds and then of course got the best actress win for her and Scott of course went down in flames with Revolutionary Road all that drama that's really oh. what the Oscars are about because it's the industry it's what's happening behind the scenes now it's the rematch this um <clears throat> can okay. I ask just to play I you know people see you say people don't feel any emotionality I, I believe that that um as far as the under 35, under certainly under 30, but under 35 votes, I think there's a lot of emotionality that is uh, in the social network because the, um, the, the people that are younger than Gen X, and I, I think that is what, maybe 3% of the Academy membership, uh, they really feel that this is, uh, um, you know, that, that, that Mark Zuckerberg's uh, character in this film is um he's 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 their boy and he and and they understand that there's something very significant and and moving really about uh, a young guy who's being scolded by older people for being audacious and uh, and yet he's got the idea and he's got the smarts to uh, to put it together and it's uh i i just was rooting for the guy uh you know uh, personality problems and loyalty uh, issues uh you know despite all that I, I, I said to myself early on, I like this guy, and I feel for uh, any any person of, of of exceptional brilliance or genius who is um, uh, who has to you know face uh, the wrath of people who don't like him personally or yeah. or think that he's audacious. I just love what he was about. So. I know I've said this before, mm-hmm. but to me, it's like watching All About Eve. It's the same dynamic of mm-hmm. you are watching this woman ascend. She's hor- you know, she's doing all these horrible things, but there's a tiny part of you that is just, you know, in awe of it that she's able mm-hmm. to do this and that she she um, succeeds so well. You don't necessarily want to see her fall. You want to see her pay for what she's done. But by the end, when she's the big star and she gets her comeuppance, mm-hmm. um, it's sort of like Mark Zuckerberg. You kind of you appreciate all that she's accomplished. You understand that she paid a high price for it, but man, you are dazzled all the way through the movie. And the dazzling yeah. dazzlement comes from the writing and the directing and the acting. And mm-hmm. right now in the race, to me, the social network is the only film that has all three of those things really strongly. That's so. what I would, uh, emphatically, I'm glad, I'm glad you, you stated that thought because I was, I did not feel in, in all of, I was, oh always appreciative of how, what it's doing well but i've never felt aroused and dazzled um in a, in a real big way so hmm, yeah i think it's so interesting about social network with the academy is they could either these old geezers look at this movie about this it, we make fun of them all the time about being d- disconnected from modern technology and media so they this whole internet thing you know is it, it, alien to them and these young whippersnappers uh, they they don't connect emotionally or psychologically with them that's mm. one possibility, and we've all wondered if that's going to happen. Yeah. But the opposite could happen if you think about it. Right. That movie is a metaphor for Hollywood deal-making. Yes. What are these guys doing in that movie? Mm. They're all involved in media, and they're screwing each other. They're backstabbing. <laughs> they yeah. are double-crossing each mm-hmm. other. This is the life of a, somebody in Hollywood today, and I think there may be an extraordinary connection between Oscar voters and seeing these weasels on screen. <laughs> yeah. And you you know, you really want to see Mark Zuckerberg get screwed, you know, and how many people feel that way about their bosses. It's like Aaron Sorkin said, you know, he said it could have been made about toasters. It could have been made about cars. It's such a, um, you know, 
archetypical theme and we all relate to it. It's just like all about Eve. We all can connect to that jealousy and envy and the young and the versus the old and, you know, all of that. That's the smug little smart ass Mark Zuckerberg gets his, he has to end, he has to end up paying not only. I didn't want to see him get screwed, though. You know, I mean, um, uh, Eduardo Saverin uh, was thinking small, and he was trying to bring in advertisers early on from New York, and he just wasn't getting the uh, the enormity of what Facebook could have been, and he was just not a, a gifted uh, or even appropriate uh, marketing guy. And the Winklevi, they, if as as Mark said, if they uh, could have invented Facebook. They would have invented Facebook. Well, sure. But I mean, I she. See him get screwed. No, we admire him because he's so brilliant. It's one of those weird, com- complex emotions you have about a character. You like him, despite the fact that he's doing things that are kind of mean and and um, right. underhanded. And I mean, you do sympathize with Severin because he double crossed his friend, his only friend, right. and. You know, whether or not he deserved to be pushed out, maybe he did, but he should have done it on the up and up. He should have sat him down and said, look, I'm doing this because I need to move forward and you're not. <clears throat> he did a he did a back backdoor deal with um, backroom deal with the lawyers and mm-hmm. Zuckerberg himself has admitted to this in text messages. Um, mm-hmm. He did it on purpose. He knew he would get sued and he'd take the hit. What he didn't think about was his friendship. And that is his tragic flaw as a character. And to me, it's so compelling. I don't know. Maybe I'm just, I've lost my mind. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> Finally. <laughs> no. no, you're right, Sasha. It makes the movie extraordinary. One last question. Okay. Um, this is going to be a good one that everybody seems to want to know is, since you've been watching the Oscars, what was your favorite moment ever of all time? And what was your uh, most joyous win? You know, when you were watching them, who did you root for and were you happy to see win the most well the uh the, the moments that i uh moments that i always respond to are the um it's it's funny but it's always the first the energy of the first uh half hour or so uh, or the uh, first 45 minutes and whenever they do those brilliant uh montages and 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 pieces which is not in other words i'm talking about the work that's been put into them uh, I, I love some of the like. Er, didn't Errol Morris do a, a piece once about what people love about their favorite moments? To me, that that Errol Morris piece, which was I think aired uh, three years ago or something, mm-hmm. that, was, that was one of the best moments. That that really got me into the whole religion of it. I just felt so elated by that piece. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we all we all enjoyed you know humor and Billy Crystal in, in his in his heyday, but uh, that was what did it for me. And, the one magic moment I would say that just made my skin jump and my heart leap for joy was when Catherine Hepburn descended the staircase at that ceremony mm. in the mm-hmm. late 1970s. And this woman who had won the most Oscars as a performer, she had won three at that point, mm-hmm. and had never attended the ceremony ever. Uh, and it was it was a huge surprise. It was an ambush on the ceremony. And everybody gasped as she finally condescended literally as she descended that right. staircase to be to be among them was a religious moment i was a student at the university of notre dame that that's how old i am hmm. when, when this happened and i was in a room with all these football thugs you know the typical kind of guys who go to notre dame and we're all watching the oscars and i just fell out of my gasp oh my god <laughs> <laughs> i get the whole significance of this and all these meatheads in the room with me go, looking at you <laughs> yeah <laughs> She arrives and says, you know, uh, it's me this long to learn to be unselfish. And, and, and they're all cheering. What did she do a few years later when she was nominated for Golden Pond? She snubbed them again. Oh, no. 
It's like Woody Allen. I know. All right, yeah. Sasha, your favorite moment. Yo, know, my favorite moment is was when the departed one. I know it probably makes me lame Scorsese fangirl, but um I was so happy because everybody was saying Scorsese was gonna win the director award, but that it wasn't gonna win Best Picture, and I knew to my bones it was gonna win and because I loved it so much and I thought it was the best film of the five. And so when it won, I was just over the moon. It was easily the happiest moment of my ten years <laughs> doing this. Oh, that's great. My, my favorite moment by far was uh, a two-parter. Well, first, when Ronald Harwood won the screenplay uh, adaptation, I think it was for the pianist, mm-hmm. and then when Polanski won, and that was right. um, that was uh, I, I I was at a party and I had a suit on, and I just people were just howling. It can't be happening. And then it was like, one of those <laughs> moments because the, you know, there was a, you know there's always that current. You mm-hmm. mentioned that there are haters out there of Polanski, yep. and uh, for for the, for him to have won, and then they cut. It was one of the most amazing cuts, but they cut to Harvey. Uh, when when Polanski won, and he, he you got to hand it to Harvey, he did his best acting ever because <laughs> smiled, you know, you know, <laughs> good Roman, we're we're for you, Roman, you know, got to hand it to you, you know, yeah. and I knew that inside he was, his stomach was doing, yeah, you know. You know somersaults and he was just going what is happening i know and I god think that maybe the penis might actually win and i was just like over the moon but- oh that's so funny i thought that too i remember that was a that was one of the most unpredictable moments at the oscars ever because we everybody really did think does this mean the pianist is going to win best picture it seemed because sure, un- it had one best actor one screenplay director you're like oh my god yeah. that that's that adds up to best picture every time right yeah. but of course chicago won so yeah <laughs> I love Chicago, though I have to say it's still one of my favorite movies. But okay, well, it's been um, uh, between the uh, uh, the polarity with the overcoat and the uh, and the cupcakes and the champagne and uh, and being in the midst of my morning glory euphoria, uh, which I hope didn't color it too much. It was really nice speaking to uh, Tom, and best of luck with GoldDerby.com. And I. I uh, hope everybody uh, stays with it. It's uh, it's a great site to to have uh, as part of the group. So great, it's great to be back. I appreciate it. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, okay, thanks. Um, it was great, Jeff. We'll talk soon. And we'll well, I think we'll specifically talk next week. Next if week. <laughs> okay, great. Talk to you guys okay. later. Bye. All right. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to Oscar Poker with Jeff Wells from HollywoodElsewhere.com, Sasha Stone from AwardsDaily.com, Phil Contrino from BoxOffice.com, and Tom O'Neill from his newly revived site, GoldDerby.com. We'll see you next week. I'm gonna rouge my knees and roll my stockings down. And all that jazz, start the car. I know a whoopty spot where the gin is called, but the piano's hot. It's just a noisy hall where there's a nightly brawl and all that jazz. Skip, skip.